0: Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. Uh, today, we begin a study through the pastoral epistles. Uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to be in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus. Now, uh, we don't want to gloss over the significance of understanding a few things. Now, there are 66 books of the Bible. Most are Worker to field. Now, when we say worker to field, listen to our prior studies in First Corinthians chapter 3. Uh you understand this making this distinction between worker and field. When Paul says to the saints, you know, uh, uh, you are the field, we are the worker, we must make this distinction uh, between field and worker. Field would be like the pew Christians. Worker would be like the pastors, the elders, the deacons, the bishops, worship team, uh, those who are, uh, ministering to the saints. We make these distinctions. It's very, very important to make these distinctions. Now, if you're in the pews, it's not to say like, oh, how dare you, or, you know, oh, you're just a baby, you're in the pews. No, it's beautiful to be in the pews because you're, you're in the, uh, the soaking in phase. You know, it's so beautiful because, you know, I think of like a sponge. You know, like when you're, uh, you you have water in a sponge and it's just soaking up, soaking up, soaking up. You know, you have a, a light sponge; it's like super light in the hand. But then, when it's fully soaked, it's weight. There's weight behind it; it's much heavier. And then you squeeze it, and the water comes out of the sponge. So when you're in the pews, don't think of it as like, oh, it's such a bummer. I'm not a worker. I'm in the field. Don't think of it like that. It's beautiful because you're soaking it up, up soaking in and soaking up all this beautiful, beautiful knowledge from the Word of God. But there's going to come a point in time. Where all of a sudden you're gonna be squeezed, and now those waters are gonna flow out from you. But the formula, it's in you, and then through you. It's not through you first, and then in you, or you know, uh, 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 through you, and then like you know, there's no soaking in. No, it's in you, and then through you. But there's a, a very specific formula when it comes to the workers. Oh, you know, for all of us, you know, there's multiple pots. If you, you know, if you're listening for the first time, purpose in your heart to listen to our prior studies, First uh, uh, Corinthians, all the way up to Second uh, uh, Thessalonians. Purpose in your heart. Uh, because we cover a lot of groundwork in terms of you know uh, 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 knowledge from the Word of God, but then at the same time maturing in Christ, the importance of maturing in Christ and what happens when there's no maturing in Christ. not good, not a pretty picture. But there are 66 books in the Bible. most are worker to field. Now within books there are aspects that are directed towards towards workers but in terms of books that are specifically designated to the worker not a lot the majority is worker to field remember for our admonition for our exhortation for our edifying for our equipping to understand the truth of god's holy word also that the word became flesh that the word became flesh the logos jesus christ the word became flesh now, of the 66 books of the Bible, five books are inward looking of the worker. Five books. They are Lamentations, Habakkuk, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Now, percentage wise, that's 7.6% are inward to the worker and of the worker. You know, Lamentations, Habakkuk, and then the pastoral epistles. But, is worker only. And these are the pastoral epistles. Paul to Timothy, Paul to Titus. 3% is worker only. If you remember our studies through the book of Acts, how many times did you hear us say, Paul is not like the average bear. We said it on purpose. Paul is not like the average bear. There's something different about him. Remember when all the saints, apostles, those with the spiritual gifts, Philip, uh, his prophetess daughters, and they're with Paul, and everybody is saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't you dare go to Jerusalem. It's too dangerous, Paul. Don't you dare go to Jerusalem. What did Paul do? He went to Jerusalem. Was he disobedient? No, because, remember, the Holy Spirit was ministering to him. The Holy Spirit was speaking to him. Paul, chains and tribulations await you. Go to Jerusalem. I am with you. We see Paul in Jerusalem, and where do we see the red letters? With Paul. Now, that is, in no way am I suggesting that the Holy Spirit wasn't with the other apostles and the uh, and and Philip and beautiful beautiful saints. I'm not suggesting that the Holy Spirit was not with them. But understand that there's something different about Paul. He's not like the average bear. Neither are those in his bubble like the average cub. Because Paul is pouring into the saints. But within the confines of a very, very beautiful and holy bubble. And when we say bubble and reference Paul's entourage, it's not in a carnal sense. Like you see the celebrities and they have their entourage. Nothing like that at all. It's a special group of people that are in Paul's sphere of influence, also known as bubble. And Paul is pouring into the next generation of leadership. Pastors, elders, elders. Ministry leaders, male and female. Remember, Phoebe, uh, 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 Priscilla, Aquila, um, uh, Phoebe. Clo- These are people in Paul's sphere of influence. Now, when we say female, understand that there's other qualifiers too. Pastors, elders, pastors, elders, pastors, elders. Always male. Always male. One hundred percent. Always male coverings in the bible old testament new testament are always male you see but deacons uh uh, uh 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 in the bible i mean you have female deacons in the bible you see and it's so powerful when we understand you know we see that there's not a lot of books of the bible that are worker only now lamentations habakkuk that's Inward, where we see uh, the heart of the worker, it breaks my heart. When you read Lamentations, when you read Habakkuk, it breaks my heart. But then at the same time, to understand worker only, this is Pastor Paul pouring into Pastor Timothy, pouring into Pastor Titus, pastor to pastor, you see, And we have to understand that Paul is not like the average bear, and those who he trains, those who he equips, are not like the average cubs. Now we see, you know, here is reference, if you've been walking with us for a while, when we look at like the book of Acts, when we reference Timmy, you know, little Timmy, little Timmy, little Titus, but at the same time, they're not so little anymore. Because they've been growing and maturing in Christ, and now it's time to flap your wings, Timothy. It's time to flap your wings, Titus, in these pastoral epistles. You see, these are among Paul's final writings. First Timothy, written around 63 AD. The book of Titus, written around 66 AD. And then Second Timothy, written around 67 AD. So, first Timothy is chronologically first, Timothy is first, uh, Titus is second. And then 2 Timothy is last. And then Paul is beheaded. Paul is martyred, beheaded. You see? And it's so powerful because we have the next generation of leadership understand the job of the worker if you've been walking with us for a while this is like a little refresher course which is why we say if you're listening for the first time make sure you listen to those prior studies first corinthians and then get yourself caught up don't forget romans too there's a study in romans but in in terms of maturing in christ because we look at baby christians in corinth but then in all the studies up until second thessalonians we make specific reference to maturing in christ and growing in christ You see, and so the job of the worker. Remember, we make the distinction between field and worker. So field would be like in the pews. Nothing bad. It's beautiful. But the job of the worker, those in ministry. Pastors, elders, and specifically in the pastoral epistles, we're speaking of pastors. What to look for in elders. We're, We're specifically looking at overseers male the job of these workers is to feed protect to train to equip to identify wolves and also kill the wolves now when we say kill the wolves it's metaphysically it's not you know going out and killing anybody according to the flesh but it's to kill the wolves metaphysically spiritually Above all, to honor the Lord and be obedient to the Lord. But feed, protect, train, equip, identify the wolves, kill the wolves. Metaphysically speaking, it's a very, very lonely path. Very, very lonely path. Very lonely. The path is very deadly as well. Very deadly as well. Because you ruffle feathers. Look at Paul. He went into town and people wanted him dead. He goes into town and people not only want him dead, but they tried to kill him. They imprisoned him. You see, listen to our studies through the book of Acts and you'll understand. You'll see this. We study it. The impact of not just Paul, but Peter and the apostles and John and Philip. And we study these things, but it's very important to understand that the path is very deadly. But also understand that the workers, they're deadly as well. The good deadly. A good kind of deadly you see and i don't i'm not speaking about according to the flesh i'm speaking about a good kind of deadly according to the spirit people who walk according to the spirit not according to the flesh yes there's an attack unto the flesh and there's a spiritual attack as well but among the deadly it's a different ball game listen to our prior studies you'll understand more and at great depths you'll understand more now i have to stress if this is not you remember we make the distinction between field and worker if this is not you and we have to be straight up we have to be honest with ourselves this isn't like you know a popularity contest or you know oh i want to be cool i want to be popular i want to look like a tough guy i want to look like a tough gal and so i'm not in the pews i'm in the i'm a worker no those days are over i mean Those days are over for the remnant because the remnant has understanding. But among the apostate, it they don't understand these things. So if this is not you where you're not a worker, don't be discouraged. It's completely okay. It's very beautiful because you're in that soaking in phase where, you know, you haven't yet been squeezed where the juices can flow from you. The juices are going into you. Be patient. You see, remember Paul, when he's in Corinth and he says you have 10,000 teachers, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father, one spiritual father, he's speaking of himself. And when he says it, when you look at the Greek and the translations, he's speaking about he's male. Understand, biologically, he's male, but he's speaking about a birth canal and he speaks of the saints as though they're his only children or that they're his children. That's how much love that he has for these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful saints. These beautiful people who are the flock of the Most High God. He's male. He has no birth canal. But yet, yet, yet that is how he speaks of them. And that's how much love he has for the saints. And Paul says "In to the Corinthian saints, you have 10,000 teachers. And that's not said pridefully. It's not to say, oh, look, I'm the only one, I'm the only one, you have to follow me. No. It's not said pridefully in any way, shape, or form. He knows his task. He knows the landscape of war. He knows that younger saints do not understand yet. You see, yet is very important because Satan doesn't want saints to mature and become deadly. And that's why we say to you, you know, if you're in the pews and you don't have this understanding yet, because as you grow, as you mature, you will have this understanding. You see, as you mature. Now, we have the, when in our our past studies, we see, you know, what is required to to mature in Christ. But we have to count the cost. Don't forget, we have to count the cost. And then at the same time, It requires sacrifice. Now, people say, oh, that's works-based salvation. It's a works-based salvation. No, it is. It's obedience-based. When I say it requires sacrifice, it means that we say, what is my will? What is the Lord's will? And then we take my will and we throw it in the trash. You see? That's obedience to the Lord. In your heart, you look at your will. You look at the will of the Lord, which we learn from the Bible. And then we go back to our will and we throw all of it in the trash. 100% obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, to get to 100%, I mean, you'll be dead. I mean, when the Lord is done with you, you'll be dead. We're a work in progress. Listen to our prior studies, First Corinthians to Second Thessalonians. Not only will you understand more, but as you grow, as you mature, as you become deadly, don't forget that we are also crucified with Christ. It is no longer you or I who live, but Christ who lives in us. But even then, there's a special formula behind that. Very special for me. A lot of Christians say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Well, it's like, wait a second. What's up with this? What's up with the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the works of the flesh? I don't see death, brother. I don't see death, sister. Oh, but the Bible says I'm crucified with Christ. No, 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 no. Hold on. Paul says I am crucified with Christ. He also says it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we look at your life, brother. We look at your life, sister, and you know, you got the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. I don't see death. That. That's like how you used to be before you came to Christ. You see, we have to be straight up with ourselves. We have to be straight up the the days of wishy-washy, the days of being lukewarm, those are over. Those are over. Among the remnant among the apostates that's that's their modus operandi but that's not what we teach. we teach the truth of God's holy word. now for all of us, balls you know balls in our court once truth goes forth, okay, balls in our court are we going to uh, 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 repel ourselves away from the truth of God's holy word or are we going to yield to God's holy word balls in your court, balls in my court. You see, we're all in the same boat. The same boat. We have a choice to make. Lord, will I obey you? Will we obey you? Or, or Lord, will we disobey you? Balls in our court. And the Lord responds to obedience and disobedience. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. I mean, while you're at it, if you're listening for the first time, while you're at it, might as well listen to our studies through Leviticus and get yourself caught up through our studies in the Old Testament. It's very important to understand how the Lord works in the framework of His Holy Word. People say, well, you know, oh, you know, I, 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 the, the, the Lord is sovereign. It is impossible to know his will. It is impossible to is it really? Remember the Bible says the Lord yes, that the Lord is sovereign. I'm not mocking his sovereignty. A lot of times it was oh God is sovereign, God is sovereign. It's like, okay, act like he's sovereign. Behave like he's sovereign. Oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Okay, well, what's up with the crack? What's up with the sex? What's up with the alcohol? What's up with the pornography? What's up with the strippers? What's up with the occult? The Ouija boards? What's up with the abuse? Why do you treat your wife like a concubine? You see? A sex slave. I, I call it like I see it. I know sometimes people are like, Oh, you know, I don't like how you say this. I don't like how you say that. I call it like I see it. What's the problem? One time there was a a, 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 a a person who says, oh, I don't like how you say this. I don't like how you say that. I don't like how you say this. I don't like it. And it's like, okay, we're just studying the Bible. We're just studying the Bible. And then, you know, I'm in like their family room. They got the TV on. And the, oh, the TV has like a million times worse than the things that we study from the Bible. And it's like, what? I thought you said you don't like this stuff in here. You got your kids. Everybody's surrounding the TV watching it, soaking up all, all the sex, the drugs, the nudity, all these things. The alcohol, the Ouija boards, all these things. And you have a problem with, with, with what we study in the Bible? There's a disconnect. We're living in very perilous times. And this is nothing, you know. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. This is nothing. I mean, we're living in a time of fake news. Fake news and information laundering. How you could look at the reality of a situation, turn on the TV, and it's like it's information laundering. What comes out of the TV is a complete distortion of reality. We see it in the education system, a complete distortion of the the real history Look at professors, college professors. You go to higher learning, I'm doing my air quotes. You go to higher learning. Every single e- e- economy, uh, uh, e- economics professor should have the, 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 the fattest books ever. I'm going to say books, I'm talking about like uh, investment books, like their investment portfolios. Every single uh, college uh, professor should have the fattest investment portfolios because Supposedly, they should be the ones who know how the economy works. They should be the ones who understand the ups and downs of market conditions and, you know, forward-looking analysis. They should be the ones because they're in higher learning. But when you look at the, the books of the economy professors and nothing, they're, they're losing money in the market. Now, I'm, I'm not speaking in a carnal sense in terms of like, okay, well, you know, if you're righteous, then you should have a a, a, a fat wallet and, a you know, a, your investment portfolio should be performing off the charts. I'm not coming off that way. But I'm showing the disconnect between, you know, the information laundering that we see in media, in education. The professors, I mean, like a, you're, 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 you're getting a business degree. You're getting a law degree. And it's like, wow, you know, my teacher, she's a lawyer, the professor, she's a lawyer, all these things. Wow. This is so cool. It's like, okay. If, if she's such a great attorney, why, why isn't she in the private sector? Why doesn't she have her own practice? Why doesn't she have her own firm? Why doesn't she have? It's like, you know, there's the saying, you know, those who do, do and those who can't teach, you know, and if you're a teacher, I love you. But it rings true. There's truth behind it. It's like, okay, well, you know, if she's such a great attorney, why does she have her own firm? What's she doing over here? Same can be said of like, you know, like the business degree. Yeah, a professor, he's teaching business and it's like, okay, well, if you're such a rock star when it comes to business, well, let me see the proof. What's the proof in the pudding? Let me see. Well I've never been and I've never been you know an entrepreneur. I'm just they teach textbook, but there's a big difference between textbook and reality. So we see this information laundering in fake news in the education system in higher learning. we see this information laundering, which has this appearance of you know why this is such a hefty knowledge base, but it's a farce. But at the same time, should we not expect the exact same concept in religion? Should we not expect information laundering when it comes to the faith? We absolutely should expect it. Listen to our past studies, First Corinthians to Second Thessalonians. There's a very specific formula to the ways of righteousness. It is a mystery to some. It is a mystery to many. But remember, it's the Lord who says, come let us reason together. Come let us reason together. Everything is found in the truth of God's holy word, Genesis to Revelation. Sometimes people come at me and they're like, well, you know, the, the Bible, you know, that, that's so many people took away, so many people added. And I reflect back to Pontius Pilate. When Pontius Pilate, he's staring Jesus in the face. He's looking into his eyes. Cuides veritas. Cuides veritas. What is truth? And Pontius Pilate says to Jesus, I have the power to free you. And Jesus responds and he says, you have no power over me. You have no power over me except that which is given to you by my Father in heaven. And so people have this idea, this notion of Well, you know, the Bible isn't, you know, the Bible's been added to, and this has been taken out, and this is added, and this is taken out. You know, people have this, they presume, don't forget the sin of presumption. If you've been walking with us for a while in our study through the Old Testament, and a little bit in the New Testament, you see that there's a sin of presumption. And people presume that, well, you know, the Bible is, you know, people have been added, people take, and people add it, so, you know, we don't even have the full Bible, That's what people say. But they presume that God is powerless. Because remember, Jesus says to Pontius Pontius Pilate, You have no power over me, except that which is given to you by my Father. Understand the Word became flesh. They think man has power Over God? No, the Bible we have today, Genesis to Revelation, is the very Bible that the Lord wants us to have. Well, there's the book of Enoch. Well, there's the Apocrypha. That's nice. Have you read it? You see how the Catholics use uh, the Apocrypha writings of uh, the book of Enoch? And they use it to buttress other beliefs into, it gets even worse and worse and worse. You see deviation from God's holy word. You see? Just like we have fake news. We have fake religion. Just as we have information laundering in the news, in education, on higher learning... The same thing is done in religion. Catholicism is unbiblical. It is unbiblical 100%. If you're Catholic, I love you. I love you. But nowhere in God's holy word do you hear anyone mention worship Mary. Well, you know, I take that back. You do, you, do, you do see worship of the Queen of Heaven. You do see it in the Bible, worship of the Queen of Heaven. But then you also see God's judgment for those who do it. Remember, Mary, for my Catholic friends, if you're listening, I say unto you, come out of her my people. Catholicism is unbiblical. Nowhere in the Bible do you see you know go and go into, you know, midnight mass, light your candles, pray for your dead relatives, that Mary will go to purgatory, rescue your dead relatives and bring them to Jesus Christ. It is unbiblical. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Remember, Mary is the one who says, you know, this is my son, do whatever he says. And all I do to you, my Catholic friends whom I love, I just echo the words of Mary. This is Jesus. Do what he says. Nowhere does he say worship Mary. Nowhere does he say, you know, pray for your dead relatives in purgatory. Pray to the angels. Pray to the saints. Nowhere does he say that. You see it in the canon of Roman Catholicism. You see it. Oh, this is written in Latin. This is old school. It's Latin. That's nice. Is it Greek? Is it Aramaic? Is it Hebrew? The original manuscripts? Very specific formula. If you're Catholic, you're listening, hit the pause button and listen to the message how to commit your life to Jesus. And you commit your life to Jesus. You leave the Catholic Church. Oh, but all my friends are there. That's nice. Bring them along. Tell them. Bring them. Come aboard. We got a big boat. We're in the last days. Judgment is coming. You see, when Paul says, you have 10,000 teachers, he doesn't say it with pride and arrogance. Understand that then there was a plethora of sources of knowledge. I'm doing my air quotes, sources of knowledge. And that was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. What about today? We have a plethora of sources of knowledge. I'm doing my air quotes. But understand that we must apply biblical Qualifiers, there's a very specific formula found in the truth of God's Holy Word, Genesis to Revelation. Very specific formula. Sound doctrine, that's one, but that's a biggie. Understand that there must be sound doctrine in place. Understanding that there must be sound doctrine in place. This eliminates a lot of pastors. I don't say this to be overly abrasive, but I do understand that there is abrasion to my words. Because when there is sound doctrine in place. Understand that a lot of elders, a lot of pastors, a lot of ministry leaders, they're eliminated. Look at charismatic Pentecostals. Charismatic Pentecostals. You go to a Pentecostal church, charismatic Pentecostal church. There's 500 people in the church and 500 people are speaking in tongues. Where is the pastor? Where is the pastor to quell this nonsense? You see, you go into a charismatic Pentecostal church, five hundred people speaking in tongues. You got a, a five-month-old, a five-month-old who says "gugu gaga," and the parents say, "Oh, look, he's speaking in tongues." The pastor says, "Oh, look, our baby's speaking in tongues. Look, the baby's speaking in tongues. That's not tongues. That's gugu gaga." There is specific order. Now, if you're Pentecostal, if you're charismatic, I love you. This isn't like to like, you know, like you're going to burn in hell. No, it's to say, come out of her, my people. There's a specific order to the way. Listen to our study through Acts chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. You'll understand more about the Spirit. The Holy Spirit and how he works. How he ministers, how he gifts. I mean, we're just on the charismatic Pentecostals. Already, pastors are eliminated. Already, elders are eliminated. Oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. How? Show me. Show me how. When when we look at Scripture, and we see order in the fellowship and we see what the bible says order in the fellowship what it looks like not what order what we think it looks like order what the bible says show me where is the error roman catholicism look at all the priests and the pastors i say pastors but you know they call them priests father you know as a priest you call him father it's unbiblical Look at all the priests, immediately eliminated. Roman Catholicism, East, Eastern Orthodox, immediately eliminated. Because remember, we're just going off this one particular aspect of the formula, which is sound doctrine. Look already who has eliminated. Charismatic Pentecostals, Roman Catholicism. I mean, since we're on the Catholics, you could say the same of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. The formula doesn't align with God's Holy Word. We're just looking at doctrine right now. Catholicism, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness. If that's you, I love you, but I also say unto you, come out of her, my people. You could be in any church, any church, any religion, any belief system. But when you have a profound love of the truth of God's Holy Word, Genesis to Revelation, Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, no Latin. Latin is the way to Rome. I mean, there's, you know, there's uh, Latin writings, but when it's based on know it's a translation from the Hebrew and the Greek, beautiful. When it's Latin, you know, which no translation, it's just straight up Latin. You get into, you know, Vatican I, Vatican II, and no, Garbage. It does not align with Scripture. Now we can throw in the Hebrew roots. The Hebrew roots movement. Look at at all the... now I'm forgetting the pews. I'm forgetting the people, the flock. Not to suggest that, you know, Roman Catholicism, not to suggest that, you know, that's God's flock. Not to suggest... But, you know, why we say, you know, you could be a Catholic... And you love the truth, you love the Lord, you could be a brand new, you believe in Jesus Christ, and you're sitting in the pews of a Catholic church, and you just open your Bible. The priest can say whatever he wants to say. You go home, you read your Bible, and you're like, wait a second, that's not the Bible says what the priest is complete disconnect. And when you have a profound love of truth with a noble heart, You're going to be like, you know what? This is wrong. The priest is wrong. You could be a Mormon. You know, the Mormons go door knocking. You know, they knock on the door, you know, and they get the suits, you know. And you're like, wow, you know what? I believe in Jesus Christ. You can go to the Mormon church. And yeah, they're gonna give you the Book of Mormon, they're gonna give you the Bible, they're gonna say, okay, this the, the Book of Mormon is you know secondary to the Bible, and then you're gonna start reading the Bible and remember what profound love of truth, and it's like, wait a second, the Bible says that you know I shouldn't add to the text, so what in the world? What's up with this Book of Mormon? They're wrong. You can apply it to anything when you have a profound love of truth with a noble heart. Jehovah's Witness is a little different because they have their own Bible from Watchtower Society. They change things. So you think like, oh, I have a profound love of truth, but you're reading Watchtower. A little more sinister. But it even contradicts itself. And I'm not trying to say that it's okay to be in these other faiths. But what I am trying to say is that there's a specific formula to sound doctrine. And I say this as a former Catholic. Because as I read the Bible, I started to realize like, wait a second. I got to jump ship. Because Catholicism doesn't align with the word of God. I got to jump ship. You see? Hebrew roots. Now it gets a little trickier. Because Hebrew roots has heavy focus on the Old Testament, which is in the canon of Scripture. But you understand the covenants. When you have a profound love of truth, with a noble heart, the Lord will show you these things. His spirit will lead you to the truth of God's holy word and deeper into a love relationship with Jesus Christ, not religion. And then you'll realize like, oh my goodness, I got to get out of here. Hebrew roots, you see, the deeper you get into what seems right, often you find more sinister motives more sinister motives do you remember when we're if you've been walking with us for a while we're in galatians we're studying galatians and when we were studying galatians do you remember how you know the sudadelfos would come to town and they would start teaching to the christians to the saints and Paul says, I don't care who they are. It makes no difference to me. What is it that they teach? I don't care who they are. That's what Paul says. I want to know what they teach. And he says, as soon as they started to speak, I immediately knew. These are the pseudodelphos. As soon as they started to speak, I knew. We knew, he says, Paul and those who were with them. We knew it. We knew immediately. Paul probably knew pretty quick because what they were saying didn't align with the truth of Holy Scripture. Look at immediately what we've eliminated. Hebrew roots is a little bit more tricky because it has an appearance of righteousness, but it's in accordance to the first covenant. Don't forget the covenant in the blood of Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. Listen to our study through Galatians, you'll understand more. And then we have replacement theology that God is done with Israel. God is all done with Israel, now his promises are to the church, which is a lie from the pit of hell. There are major ministries, you know, coalitions, major ministries, coalitions, coalitions, coalitions. Steeped heavily in replacement theology. Calvinism is another one. Reformed theology. People say, oh, you know, I'm a reformist. I'm in the reformed theology church. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Presbyterian reformed theology, Calvinism. They're all all derivatives of Calvinism, which is a lie from the pit of hell. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll understand more. Because today we have Calvinist and Reformed theology people. It's They call it theology, but it's really a theory. But today we have Reformed theology so-called pastors who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Because once saved, all was saved. Go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Never take the mark of the beast. Don't you dare ever, ever, ever take the mark of the beast. Because you take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. Don't you ever take the mark of the beast. Listen to our study. It's called uh, Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. And you'll hear a reformed pastor say, Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It's a lie. Look at already who we've eliminated. We got the charismatic Pentecostals, we got the Catholics, we got the Mormons, we got the J Dubs, Jehovah's Witness, we got the Hebrew Roots Movement, we have replacement theology, we have Calvinism, we have Reformed theology. And then you know there's more. There's Universalists, there's there's a whole bunch of different Lutherans, Methodists, Episcopalians. Well, wow, who do you think you are? I'm just a guy with the Bible. That's it. just a guy with his Bible. But when you read the Bible with a noble heart and you have a profound love of truth, all of a sudden, you're going to see. You're going to see clearly. Like, wait a second. That's not in the Bible. I know this guy says I should take the mark of the beast, but the Bible doesn't say that because you have a profound love of truth. I know this pastor, you know, he got the study Bibles and everything. And he says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. And that's not what the Bible says. I know this other pastor says, you know, we have a thousand people in the church and a thousand people are speaking in tongues. And I know that's what he says, but that's not what the Bible says. I got this other pastor over here, you know, and that guy is saying that, you know, let's go grave soaking. Let's go lay on the grave site of dead people so that we can soak up their spirit. None of the Bible says that's an abomination, necromancy. I got these coalition books, coalition books. And the guy is saying that God is all done with Israel. That's done. That door has been closed and God is done with Israel. And now the promises of God are to the church. Which that's not in the Bible because I read Romans 11 and you know the root doesn't, the the, the, the branch doesn't support the root. It's the other way around. What does this guy get off saying that? I get this other guy who has glitter in the rafters that has it fall down and calls that the Holy Spirit. You see? A lot of times what happens. As we get further in the last days, it's already happening. It's happening even more. It's going to get worse. But what happens is that, remember the four categories of last days church? Last day church is either false, apostate, entering apostasy, or true. So, it is prophesied that, you know, strong delusion is going to set in. Listen to our study through 2 Corinthians, or Second Thessalonians. You'll understand more. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Strong delusion, it's prophesied to happen. It's a result of not loving truth. And there are saints who see their churches entering apostasy, becoming apostate. And so they say, well, I need heavy church government. I need more church government to, because I see all the sex and the drugs and the alcohol, which is coming into the church and the words of the flesh and this and that. And, okay, the pastor's crazy. He's defunct. And, you know, I don't want that anymore. So I need heavy church government. So what happens is they either go to Hebrew roots, which is, Heavy government in accordance to the law, or they go into Calvinist and Reformed theology churches because they figure I need heavy church government. But both avenues are wrong. Both avenues are wrong. You say how do you? How can you say that? There's like major expositors of the Bible that are Calvinists. Major expositor, they got their study Bibles and they got this and that. They got all these big ministries. That's nice. I don't care. What does the Bible say? John Calvin, in the Institutes of the Christian Religion, says this, I say with Augustine that the Lord has created those who, as he certainly foreknew, were to go to destruction, and he did so because he so willed. You like how he says, you know, end quote. But you like how he says, uh, you know, he certainly foreknew. That the Lord has created those who, as He certainly foreknew, you know, certainly foreknew, you know. And people hear that, and there are people who read that, and they're like, "Oh, you know, this is John Calvin speaking. You know, he certainly he knows what he's talking about because he's such a great expositor of the Bible, and he says that God certainly foreknew that, you know, He willed people to destruction. That God wills people to destruction to His own glory." Remember, fake news, fake religion, information laundering. Because the word of God, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, quote, As I live, end quote, says the Lord God. As I live, says the Lord God, quote, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways! End quote. This is a thus saith the Lord verse. John Calvin says that God wills people to their destruction. That's nice. I don't care who Calvin is. I don't care. What does the Lord say? Because the Lord says, turn, turn from your evil ways. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's what the Lord says, the living God. John Calvin? Trash can. John Calvin, in his commentary writing, says, Quote, Moreover, this is John Calvin, quote, Moreover, God himself has explicitly instructed us to kill heretics, to smite with the sword any city that abandons the worship of the true faith revealed by him. What? What? That's the language of a fool. That's the language of the idiotes, those with no understanding. Because he fails to understand the covenants and the rules of engagement. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. He fails to understand. Oh, how dare you say that about John Calvin? I don't I don't care. I could care less. I don't care. Oh, but he started the Reformation. I don't care. What does he say? It's good that he left Rome. It's good that he left Roman Catholicism. But then, what did he? He left Rome and went to Geneva. He's a fool. Because oh, that was the cultural norm back then. Listen, John Calvin is saying that Christians, that of Christians, that God has explicitly instructed us. To kill heretics. Kill them. Not metaphysically. Kill them. He's a fool. And people today say, well, that was the cultural norm back then. That was the Dark Ages, you know, it was the cultural norm that, you know, people would die, people would get killed, and You know, that was the norm of Geneva. That was the norm of Rome and all these things. And all that was the cultural norm. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Is he not? I'll say that again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Is he not? Because if he is, and he is as he says he is, what differences shall we see among his sheep? When Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, what differences are we to see among his sheep? Oh, but that was the cultural norm, so it was permissible. Listen, if the church today follows the cultural norms of today, is that permissible? The argument is utter foolishness. Because what should happen is that you and me, we should be able to go in a time machine. And go back to the early church, go back to any moment in history. We can go back a hundred years, we get in the you and me, we get in the time machine. And we can go back a hundred years, we can go back a thousand years, we can go back two thousand years, give or take a couple years. And we should be able to have beautiful, beautiful, beautiful fellowship with the saints. We might laugh at attire. They might laugh at a t-shirt I'm wearing, a, a flannel shirt that I'm wearing. They might laugh at my shoes, they might laugh at my, you know, spectacles, they might laugh at if I'm wearing a cap. What is this? What is this cap? There's going to be a little language barrier, but you know, we'll work it out over some time. What is this thing you wear in your head? Oh, it's a cap. It keeps the sun out of my eyes, you see. What is this you wear on your face? Oh, my glasses, because I take it off, I'm blind. I put it on and I can see. these things you have on your feet oh those are tennis shoes there's gonna be certain differences but every single one of us are gonna bow before the throne of grace we're gonna bow to Jesus Christ not kill people Oh, you come against the church, we're going to burn you at the stake. You come against this doctrine, we're going to burn you at the stake. Where in the New Testament, New Covenant, in the Bible, where do you see, in accordance to the rules of engagement of the New Covenant, where do you see Paul, Peter, John, James, Luke, Matthew, Mark, where do you see anybody say, burn non-believers at the stake? Where do you see them chop off the hands of anybody who, 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 who who walks according to the flesh? Where do you see, hey, put them in prison if they work, if they walk according to the flesh, put them in prison and throw away the key, starve them for two months? Where do you see that? I'll give you the answer. Nowhere. So John Calvin, quote, says, Moreover, God himself has explicitly instructed us to kill heretics. to lie from the pit of hell. To smite with the sword any city that abandons the worship of the true faith revealed by him. A lie from the pit of hell. And today, people revere him. John Calvin revered. John Calvin, in a letter to Marquis Paget, he says, Honor, glory, and riches shall be rewarded of your pains, but above all, do not fail to rid the country of those scoundrels. He's speaking of the Anabaptists who stir up the people who revolt against us. Such monsters should be exterminated as I have exterminated Michael Servetus, the Spaniard. Again, corporal punishment. Inside the church, corporal punishment. Oh, but that was the cultural norm back back then. Okay, so if you want to say that was the cultural norm back then, and so it was acceptable, what about the cultural norms of today? You say that was the cultural norm back then. Look at the court- cultural norms of today. And you're saying the cultural norms are permissible? To teach children, you know, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, uh, give them sex education, teach them that transgenderism is okay? That's a cultural norm today. Is that permissible, Christian? Pastor? Pastor? Elder, overseer, is that permissible? You say killing people, killing uh, heretics is permissible for John Calvin. So what's, oh, that was the cultural norm. Okay, let's take the cultural norms of today. Is that permissible for Christians? Be, you see, many people, pastors, they cite the Geneva Bible all whilst forgetting the atrocities of Geneva because in Geneva under John Calvin Christians were maimed beaten and burned at the stake good old Geneva oh the Puritan Bible that's the Bible of the pilgrims okay So now you export that ideology and you bring it to America. Look at Salem. Look what happened to the witches. Murdered. Yes, murdered. Why? Because the good old Puritan Bible told them to do that. The Geneva Bible, which took two years to translate and 40 years to add commentary. I don't want anybody to follow commentary. We follow the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation. You see? Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. I don't want commentary of Calvin. I mean, look, we just read a couple things. God wills people to hell? It's okay to... Kill heretics? He says that such monsters who revolt against us, he says such monsters should be exterminated as I have exterminated Michael Servetus, the Spaniard. You know what he did to Michael Servetus? He burned him at the stake. But it wasn't just saying, you know, here, we're going to put you on the stake and light a fire and boom, you're dead. It was cruelly done. I mean, that alone is cruel, but it was cruelly done. Good old Geneva Bible. two years to translate forty years to add their commentary. It was exported to the Americas. Oh, I like my Puritan Bible, the Geneva Bible. Oh look, this is the Bible in its purest form. no, it isn't it's commentary. It's like calling the message the Bible oh this is the this is the ultimate authority. it's the message commentary. Witches murdered. Yes, murdered. The Salem witch trials. By Christians. Who were led astray. John Calvin, in his Institutes, quote, he says this, quote, If God merely foresaw human events, and did not also arrange and dispose of them at his pleasure he's speaking of the non-elect notice and did not also arrange and dispose of them at his pleasure 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 when the real god says i have no pleasure in the death of the wicked And John Calvin is talking about the pleasure of God in in disposing of the not-elect? That they're burning in hell? He's a fool. He is an idiotess. And yet, well-respected among Christians today. Revered in Christian circles today. Calvinists. Today. Reformed theology today. Listen to what reformed theology says about John Calvin. Because we have those who revere John Calvin today. R.C. Sproul, the late. John MacArthur, who has his study Bible. Who says that Christians can take the mark of the beast and still be saved? Foolishness. And John MacArthur, he continues and he says, or not John MacArthur, <laughs> the other bad John. He's John Calvin, in his Institutes, says, quote, If God merely foresaw human events and did not also arrange and dispose of them at his pleasure... There might be room for agitating the question how far his foreknowledge amounts to necessity, but since he has decreed that they are so to happen, it is clear that all events take place by his sovereign appointment. John Calvin has a misguided interpretation of God's sovereignty. And yet you have Calvinists today Reformed theology people today. Oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Don't mind that I beat on my wife. Don't mind that I cheat on my wife. Don't mind that I do the pornography. Don't mind that I go to the strippers. Don't mind that I do my lies. Don't mind that I do the occult, the Ouija boards and all these things. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. I'm not mocking the sovereignty of God. But that's what we see in the church. And I call it like I see it. And I say church and I'm speaking very loosely when I say church, because when you read the Bible and you see what the formula is for church, you see, wait a second, that church is wrong. 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 Church is wrong. Why is it that all these churches are wrong? Look at the pastor. Look at the pastor. What is taught? Oh, but God is sovereign. Don't just forget the sex over here, the drugs over here, the Ouija boards over here. If you say God is sovereign, act like it. Behave like it. Yield to the word of God as though he were sovereign because he is sovereign. I was speaking to some ministry leaders in the Middle East. Pastors and elders, they were very, very incensed Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ. Very, very incensed at the things that I was saying about the sovereignty of God. Even seeming to attack them at who they lauded as their teachers. calvinists and Reformed theory people. And I'm speaking to these ministry leaders in the Middle East. And I say to them, listen, are we really going to have this conversation? And if we're really going to have this conversation, are you open, as I am open, to the truth of God's holy word? And the consensus was, yes, we're all open to the truth of God's holy word. And then we began our discussion. They started out very irate. Which is understandable because, I mean, like if if you're heavily into Calvinism and Reformed theology and you have your study Bibles and this and you laud these people and all these things, I understand that the things that we say are abrasive. But truth is always abrasive, no matter what you can be in any doctrine and truth is always abrasive until your doctrine becomes sound and when your doctrine becomes sound the abrasion ceases only with obedience and not just that's just doctrine but it doesn't end there You could be in the sex and the cult and the Ouija boards and the alcohol and all these different things. And there will always be abrasion to those things when you're confronted with truth. The only way that abrasion ceases is when you're obedient to God's holy word. And I tell you from experience. So we're having this conversation. There was a little little argument at first. Incensed. How dare you say these things? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Ministry leaders, pastors, elders, overseers. Who do you think you are? How dare you say this? Okay, are, are we really... We, are we, guys, are we really going to do this? So we came to the agreement that... We will all yield to the truth of God's holy word, no matter what. Okay. So we began our discussions. Conversation ensued. More and more conversation. Deeper conversation. Old Testament, New Testament, understanding of the covenants, rules of engagement. Mark of the beast. When a pastor says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And he says that to Christians. All of a sudden, these pastors and elders, ministry leaders, overseers, they were shocked. Shocked. I can't believe it. They told me. I can't believe it. We can't believe it. How could we have been so wrong? That's how deception enters. It's an attack of Satan. They were shocked. I mean, we were were in the Bible for some time, but then on top of that, we were in old school teachings of Calvin, Augustine, all these. And the final consensus was shock. That's, see, there's truth. It's sharper than any two edged sword. And I'm speaking of the truth of scripture. It's sharper than any two edged sword. Very, very sharp. And it's not like, you know, if you want to slice a tree trunk that you have to like hack away at it. It's so sharp and so powerful and so capable that one little swipe. And that tree trunk is sliced. It is very dangerous. Because how I spoke with these men, I would dare not speak to a child in in the same manner. Because the sword is sharp. Uh, Talking to a beautiful, beautiful five-year-old about God's holy word. I wouldn't speak to a beautiful five-year-old in the same manner that I spoke to these learned men, so-called learned men, whom I love. And When I say so-called learned men, it was before we had this conversation. And I said, okay, are we we're we really, really going to have this conversation? And I'm open to it. I'm, I'm open to having this conversation and hearing what you have to say. But are you, in turn, open to the things I have to say? And if the things I have to say prove, prove beyond any doubt from Holy Scripture, if it proves that you're in the wrong, are you willing to accept me as friend? And even further than that, are you willing to accept me as brother? And we all agreed, okay, let's have it out. Now, this isn't a prideful thing. But Oh, look, I won that fight. And oh, look, I was right. And they were wrong. No. Truth. Truth. God's holy word. He's everything. The word became flesh. He is everything. We bow to Him. Every knee, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That will come to pass upon everybody. But today, the saints do it willingly. You see? Pray for the saints in the Middle East. Pray for the saints in the Middle East because there's a moment of getting things right when everybody is entrenched in calvinism and reformed theology there's a moment of correction in terms of getting things right and once things are right it's you know we're we're we're, we're moving on and not moving on like you know okay we're done there i mean moving on like we're moving on to perfection moving on to glory moving on to paradise It's why you hear us say from time to time, jump ship, jump ship, jump ship, jump ship. It's not to say, hey, I want to be cruel to you and, you know, I know you have your friends there and leave your friends. But remember, we follow Jesus Christ. We follow Jesus Christ with a very specific formula. You look at the teachings of John Calvin. And he says with Augustine, he aligns himself to Augustine. When everybody, when, 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 I, when I have conversations with pastors and elders, most, mostly pastors and elders. But when I have these conversations and they start referring to Augustine as church history, I know who I'm speaking to. Because real church history is in Augustine. Augustine says faith comes through Rome. And John Calvin says, I say with Augustine, it just so happens. We, there was reference made to this on, on Wednesday with the agnostics and how these doctrines creep in the Delphos. Remember how Paul was concerned? You might well put up with it. Well, Galatia, they put up with it. Corinth, they put up with it. The early church, they put up with it. 1500s, they put up with it. 1600s, put up with it. Geneva, they put up with it. John Calvin says, God explicitly instructs us to kill heretics. So that was the cultural norm back then. So it was okay. Okay. Cultural norms today. You want to put that in the church, pastor? If the cultural norms back then were okay, what about the cultural norms today? Are you going to bring that into your church, pastor? You call yourself a pastor. You say the Lord called you. Are you going to bring that into the church? The cultural norms of today? Teaching a transgender, teaching a little little six year old how to be transgender. You going to bring the cultural norms into the church, pastor? Supposedly the Lord called you. You say the Lord called you. This is nothing. It's going to get worse. This is nothing. We're just... This is like galloping through the lily fields right now. This is nothing. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Look at the... In, among Protestants... Aligning themselves with Roman Catholicism. The Pope. Look at the initiatives that Rome is putting in place. Bring Christians home, they call it. Oh, we're going to bring Christians home to Rome. Major global initiatives, major interfaith movements. All this war is happening in the world, so now we all need to coalesce. Christians, we need to coalesce. It's like, wait a second. That's not Christianity. Roman Catholicism? That's not Christianity, buddy. You call yourself Pope, Vicar of Christ? I read the Bible. You stand on those doctrines, I call you vicar of Antichrist. Oh how dare you say that he's the Pope? that's nice. Somebody give that guy a Bible Tell him to repent and believe in Jesus the real Jesus, not the fake Jesus. you see? Oh, but we're Christians. We're Christians. We're Lutherans. We're Methodists. We're Episcopals. That's not Christianity. And I say, you know, Methodists, when they first started, completely understandable. And in a lot of ways, agreeable. Today, no way. Episcopals, no way. Lutherans, no way. Remember, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love people as you love yourself. You see? Love God first. What happened among universalism, like the Episcopal, Lutherans, Methodists, what happened is they switched the formula. Love people more than God. Oh, we're supposed to be loving, so let's just love on this person, love on that person, love this. And, oh, God is love, so we'll accept this, we'll accept this. And, yes, the cultural norm is this, so now this is going to be the cultural norm inside the church. And we just love people, we just love people, love people. But the formula is love God and then love people. Because when you love God first, you love anybody and everybody, but you tell them, listen, you need to repent. You tell them, listen, you know, I know the world says, you know, love is love. And this is how you want to do your love and do your love like that. And that's nice. But the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says that is sin. You need to repent and be right with the Lord. Now, you might win a brother. You might win a sister. Or they might hate you forever. But through that, you still love them. And also through that, you haven't denied the Lord. You see. Remember Ezekiel thirty three verse eleven, "As I live," says the Lord God. Who is John Calvin? When John Calvin says, "Oh, the Lord instructs us this," and lo- because the, you know, the Lord certainly foreknew that you know these people are destructed because He so willed, they're d- onto destruction because He so willed. Who in the world is John Calvin? I care not about whatever he says because I know that what he says does not align with the truth of God's holy word. Therefore, I throw him in the trash. That's Calvinism. Reformed theology. Presbyterianism. (gasps) How dare you say that? How dare you say that? That's nice. Because the Lord says, Ezekiel 33, verse 11, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his evil way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways! Exclamation point. Here's the danger. I mean, there's there's dangers, but I mean, there are major implications. Major, major implications. Because when John Calvin is foundational, the entire structure cannot stand because it's built on sand it is built on something that does not align with scripture it is not on the solid rock it is built on sand same with the roman catholic church but you know we're talking about the calvinists right now reformed theology i'll give you an example there's a building with 150 stories. Construction began in the 1500s, for example. It's 2022. We're in the year 22. And new construction is happening. The building is 150 stories. It was They started in the 1500s. And in 2022, they say, well, we're going to add... 150 floors. We're going to make this so this building is 151 stories tall. We have the intellect and the manpower to do it. We're tall and mighty and we're going to grow and continue to build. But, the foundation is built on sand. The very foundation is built on sand. The quotes that I read of John Calvin, those are from the 1500s. The very foundation is built on sand. So you and me, we're going to take a trip. And we see this hotel, 150 stories, and they're building the 151st. It's in Dubai. They got tall buildings in Dubai. Everybody is raving about this hotel. It's got the best views because you could be on the 140th floor and you see like you know they got a restaurant on the 140th floor and it's you see all these views all these things remember you and me were just taking a trip and we know the foundation is not safe the foundation is not stable. Would you spend the night there? Would you spend 10 minutes there when you know that the foundation is unstable? And that's what happens with false doctrine. You see, the Lord must build the house. I know people desire to be considered intellectuals and, you know, oh, they desire to be Bible scholars and they desire to be this, they desire to be that, but it's not a popularity contest. No way. It is not a Popularity contest. You know, you see that a lot today. Guys who are losers, they can't hold a job. They're complete and total losers. They can't hold a job. They can't, you know, they're prognosticating when it comes to taxes and investments and their, their wisdom according to the world. They have no history of exercising these things. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, the, 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 the world is, you know, like, you know, that's like the, the end all. I'm not saying that in any way, shape or form, but you have these losers. They've, they've been nerds their whole life. They've never had friends and they treat church like a popularity contest. They say, well, I've I've been a nerd my whole life. I've never had friends. So, but if I be a, if I become a pastor, oh, look, I have all these friends and people like me. And you know, it's, uh, you know, I got all these followers on social media. I'm an influencer. Stupid. Foolish. Foolish. And when I speak about, you know, like, like investments and business, it's not saying like, you know, that's like the end all, like this is, this is the way to go, but they have no experience on prognosticating. And so when it comes to scripture, like you can look at, you know, certain codes and laws and regulations and prognosticate and make uh, determinations and how things would impact you for future use, for future importance, for future betterment. And you have those muscles exercised. And when the Lord calls you, because you've had these muscles exercised, the Lord calls you. And all of a sudden, the formula of the world, it's thrown in the trash can. And now your formula is God's holy word. But the things that you had exercised, you have experience in understanding rules and formulas and covenants and what is written. You have these muscles exercised. And then all of a sudden it's like. How the Lord look at Paul. Look at Paul, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And not to exalt the pharisaical ways, but because of that knowledge base, he was able to enter the synagogue and handle some serious business because he had certain muscles exercised. And when I say exercised, I mean like, you know, like use. I don't mean exercise like, you know, in exorcism. I mean exercise like, you know, you know, exercise. There's certain experience. Remember, a student of Gamaliel a teacher of the priesthood, a Pharisee of the stock of Benjamin. And all these he counted as nothing for the glory of Christ. Because see, he has experience in the law. He has experience in Torah. He has experience in the... The the Psalms and the Proverbs and the poetic verses and the prophets, minor prophets, major prophets, he has experience. So now when he goes into synagogue, he handles some serious business. You see? And not going into synagogue as a Pharisee, but going into synagogue as a Christian, as a servant of the Lord. And to reason in the synagogue. And not just to reason in the synagogue. But prove that Jesus is the Messiah using Torah, using the prophets, major, minor, using the poetic verses. You see? But today you have these losers. They've been like losers their whole life and they've never had friends and they treat church like a popularity contest. Oh, I'm going to be a pastor. Because I can be an influencer. I can have all these friends. Nobody liked me my whole life. And you know now I have a friend. Now I have two friends. Now I have ten friends. Now I have a hundred friends. Now I have a thousand friends. And I'm an influencer. You see? When you stand for truth, you'll have no friends. When you stand for truth, the days of You know, a thousand friends, the days of a hundred friends, the days of five friends, the days of one friend. Those days are over. No one will like you. You'll be the outcast. But be of good cheer. Look at all the beautiful people in the Bible, the family tree in the Bible. The family tree according to faith at jeremiah oh jeremiah you're so stupid look we're of the learned class and look god uses us and you're so stupid god we're of the elect god is with us who can be against us and jeremiah the weeping prophet the lonely prophet they called him that for a reason because he was weeping he was lonely why nobody liked him he stood for truth look what they did to jesus Our Lord. You see? Look at Paul. You know, only Luke is with me. It's hardcore. I say these things against Calvinists, against Reformed theology. And I know they're abrasive. I'm fully aware that they're abrasive. Babies and adolescents, in terms of growth in Christ, babies and adolescents would highly disagree. I get it. I understand it. Because the notions that we share, very serious. But of babies and adolescents, they're without understanding. In one sense, I see it as a good thing because it's like, okay, jump ship. But also in disagreement are the hirelings and the wolves and the servants of Satan. They are also in disagreement, but they have understanding and an agenda. They serve their father, the devil. How dare you say that? this guy has his study bible this guy has his seminary this guy has a doctorate this guy honorable doctorate this guy has his uh, degree this guy has this he is a theologian so a guy says take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved By what spirit does he say such a thing? Straight up! By what spirit does a pastor say, Go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? By what spirit? Because the Holy Spirit guides in truth. You see, wolves, servants of Satan, they have understanding. They know who they serve. I have something to say to my sisters in Christ, to women. Women, my beautiful sisters in Christ, Lamps are burning out today. And it's going to get much worse. Marriages won't be so pretty in the last days as lamps go out. Men, their lamps will go out. And I'm speaking to women. Lamps will go out. We're going to see more sex, more drugs, more pornography, more strippers, more prostitutes as these lamps go out. And I'm speaking to women regarding husbands. Lamps will go out. And when there's terrible church government in place, (coughs) Excuse me When there's terrible, terrible church government in place Church government that leans heavily on Matthew 18 Which is Common among stupid pastors Women, you become the bad guy You become the bad gal It's common A husband has a problem with pornography. Women, you become the bad guy, the bad gal. And they say, well, wife, you know, you let yourself go. Look, you know, when you got married, you look like this. And now look, now you're chubby. Now you're wrinkly. You don't dress the same. You don't wear this makeup like this. And you let yourself go. So it's your fault, woman. You're the reason why your husband has these sexual proclivities. Then they apply Matthew 18, heavy church government. But they do it wrongly. Why? Because they're stupid. They apply an unbiblical formula. You see, now you have abused women, women who, you know, oh, my husband has a problem with pornography because I let myself go. And the elders and the pastors, they say, I gotta go to the gym, you know, because, you know, I'm gonna submit myself to the, to my pastor. And so now I submit myself to the pastor and the pastor in his counsel says, "Okay, my husband has a problem with pornography because I'm chubby, because, you know, I don't look how we did when we got married. And, you know, so, you know, I'm tired and, you know, I don't do the sex like I used to do. And so it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. The pastor says it's my fault. So now his remedy is now I got to go to the gym. I got to work out. I got to dress like this. I got to look like this. I got to do makeup like this. I got to do the make. It's all carnal. Because the wife doesn't want her marriage to fail. The wife doesn't want her marriage to fail. She's fighting for her marriage, which is beautiful. But when the formula is wrong, in the pastors, in the elders, they prescribe solutions that are entirely unbiblical. And the majority of times it's the wife's fault. And it's growing in these last days. You see the rise, the, the, the evil fruits of terrible church government. It's the wife's fault. Listen to Calvinist and Reformed theology pastors and elders and ministry leaders. A husband has, you know, his wife became chubby. His wife doesn't perform sexually like she used to. She became chubby. The husband doesn't like her anymore. And so he turns to the four-year-old daughter. And in counseling, the counselors say it's the wife's fault. And then they apply Matthew 18 because they're idiots, idiotes, without understanding. They're fools. It's the wife's fault. Wife, It's it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. No, it isn't. It's the wicked, wicked, wicked pastor. And the wicked husband. But the wicked husband was never told, this is wickedness. Repent. The wicked husband was never told to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so this was allowed to fester in his mind wife is no longer skinny now she's chubby husband says oh i don't like this anymore i don't like this anymore you should have thought about that buddy foolish man he says he's a man but he's a little boy and you have pastors who say oh don't go to the police this is just church matter no let me tell you something husbands it's good to go to the police because if I ever find out about it, let me tell you, I have a problem. I have a, with child molestation, I have a big problem with that because I want to be judge, jury, and executioner, nice and slow. That's what I want to be to the child molester. But praise be to the Lord, I don't have to do that because we have a legal system. You have pastors in churches, oh, we got a safe face. Don't let this get out in the news. Don't let this get out in the media and we're just going to handle this in church. No, you call the police. Husband, you can repent and do all these things and you can do it from prison. You have all these counselors who say, wife, it's your fault. Wives who are treated like concubines, sexual slaves, because stupid husband has a problem with pornography. Stupid husband calls his his wife's at home, wife's at home doing whatever, you know, whatever, you know, wives, I don't know, whatever women do, you know, but wife's doing what, like wife stuff. And husband calls her. You know, wife, I'm being tempted. So, you know, I'll, I'll be home in five minutes and be ready to go. Because stupid pastors said, okay, wife, because your husband has this problem with pornography, you know, you don't want him to go into pornography, do you? So now you have to please him sexually. And then the wife becomes concubine instead of friend, instead of bride. The Bible says husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. When does the Lord ever use When does the Lord ever abuse? Never. Stupid husband? Never. And yet you have these wicked pastors, wicked elders, wicked ministry leaders, wicked counselors who give this stupid counsel, which is the ways of Adam. Wives who are raped, even marital rape. Oh, wife, the Bible says you have to submit to me. You have to submit, you have to submit, you have to submit. And a wife who was raped by her husband. Because you have a stupid husband who doesn't control his mind. No self-control. And the pastor says, okay, you have to submit to your husband. And then the wife who was raped by her husband goes to the elders, goes to the pastor. Pastor, my husband raped me. Elders, my husband raped me because she's doing what the Bible says to submit to the authority over her. She's... And the stupid pastor says, well, you have to submit to your husband. Your husband has these proclivities because you let yourself go. So now you got to go to the gym. Now you got to wear your makeup. Now you got to do this. got to go work out. So you can look at like these lady freak shows that your husband watches on TV, that your husband watches at the movies and the dirty movies, the dirty uh, internet and the dirty this and the dirty that. So you can look like these freak shows. And you speak to these wives. I've had conversation with these wives before. And they feel like the rape was better than the abuse that she received in the church from the pastors, from the elders, from the counselors. You have these wicked men. And they apply Matthew 18 for all these different problems that come to them. Oh, we're going to apply Matthew 18, Matthew 18. Oh, yes, we need Matthew 18. And, you know, the the the, the these godly men, we're going to handle the problem. But they're idiots. Found commonly in Calvinist churches and Reformed theology churches. The complete and total idiots. They have no business at the pulpit. And the wives become victimized. Twice. Raped by the husband and victimized by the church. You see? Remember, I'm speaking to women. Understand women, my beautiful sisters in Christ. When you hear us say jump ship, there's a danger. It's like that building 150 they're they're building 150 stories, but the foundation is messed up. The foundation is wrong, and if you place your family in one of those rooms on the 149th story, and you have your family in the 149th story, that that building is gonna fall. And I say unto you, jump ship, jump ship. it's dangerous for you and your family. And as we see in these last days as lamps are burning out, understand the formula. listen to our study the you know our prophecies, first and second Thessalonians, strong delusions, signs of the last days, references to matthew twenty four time period by which all these things are now in play presently in play lamps are burning out already and as lamps burn out understand the implications and ramifications of bad doctrine that fails to align with scripture very serious business very serious business. Young daughters who are molested by their dads, by their fathers. And the church sweeps it under the rug and blames the wife. You see? And then what happens to the wife? Oh, don't get a divorce. Don't get a divorce. Don't get a divorce. Look, you're breaking the marriage covenant. Foolishness. The husband broke the marriage covenant. You see, sexual immorality is grounds for divorce. Now, it's not to get divorced and, you know, you get, you know, marriage number two. No, it's, you're single. You know, single mom. And I'm not, you know, the Lord hates divorce. But understand, there's a very specific formula. And it's the women who are often, you know, the blame is put on the women. Oh, wife, you let yourself go. So you have a pastor, so-called pastor, stupid guy, who says, okay, wife, you don't like that your marriage is so bad. So, okay, wife, why is your marriage bad? The wife says, well, my husband's a sex head. He does his pornography. He goes to the strippers, all these things. And stupid pastor, stupid elder says, well, you know, this is because you let yourself go. You know, you're chubby and this and that. So you got to go to the gym. So look, the wife feels like dirt now because the stupid guy, stupid pastor told her this stupid counsel. Now the wife feels like dirt. Without understanding That the whole building is messed up. Why? You might be on the 150... Remember, they're building the 151st floor. But the whole foundation is rotten to its core. It was never founded on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Sound doctrine. You see, today, I I fully understand. Today, I sound like crazy guy. Today, I sound like crazy guy. But as things get worse... They're going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Lamps are going to go out. I mean, okay. Remember, I'm speaking to women. Especially married women. So, wives. We know that lamps are going to go out. Now, let's let's forget the world. Let's forget the church. Let's look at the home. Knowing, wives. Knowing that lamps are going to go out. Knowing that Satan wants to strike the head of your home. And lamps are going to go out. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm in a weird phase right now. Like, I'm kind of like done with men. (laughs) Because men are stupid. Men are like little boys. They think they're tough guys, but they're little boys. They got the hairy chest. They got the big muscles. They got the deep voice. But they're idiots. They're stupid. Without understanding. When I say idiots, it's without understanding. Because like sheep to the slaughter, you know, they go to the sex, they go to the drugs, they go to the alcohol, they go to the uh, the casino, they go to the gambling, they go to the Ouija boards. Stupid. But, back to women. My beautiful sisters, knowing that lamps are going to go out. And lamps are already going out. That 149th floor... It is so dangerous for you to have your home, your family in. It is so dangerous. It's like, how dare you say that? My pastor has his study Bible. That's nice. That's nice. He also says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You see? But then you look at the doctrine. I mean, that doctrine, that alone, I mean, that, that kind of like a, that's kind of like a big shout. Because the Bible says, don't you dare take it, the mark of the beast. But then you look at the doctrine, Calvinism, Reformed theology, replacement theology. And remember, I'm speaking to women now. Now, uh, women... You listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And then our study called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. And then you judge for yourself. Ball's in your court. You judge for yourselves. Then you see, oh my goodness, this 149th floor, it is dangerous. Now you understand why I say jump ship. It's not safe. Oh, my friends, my friends, all my friends, we've been friends forever. That's not bringing them along. Tell them. But the ball's in their court. That building is falling. You see? There's a wicked agenda afoot in these last days. I was having this conversation, four hour conversation, it's like three hours and 45 minutes. But I'm having this long conversation with the guy who was in ministry. Ministry, wanted to be a pastor. I've heard him give sermons. Pastors in the audience listening to him. Elders in the audience listening to him. Ministry leaders in the audience listening to him. Christians listening to him. And we had a side conversation, about four hours, three, three hours, 45 minutes. We're having this conversation, long conversation, citing scripture, 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 scripture. And finally, I told him, I says, listen. You're guilty of idolatry because the Jesus Jesus that you speak of is not the Jesus of the Bible. And then all of a sudden his demeanor changed and he has a smile on his face and he says, "I'm, I'm the guy the Bible warns you of. You see, there's an agenda underway. Christians, Pew Christians, even pulpit Christians, are unaware. They think they know. But the Sudedelfos come in secretly. You see? And his doctrine, that this, this guy's doctrine, this, we had our four-hour conversation, three hours, 45 minutes. We had this long conversation. His doctrine was Calvinism, Reformed theology. You see? He knew who he was serving. And he has this smirk and he says, I'm the guy the Bible warns you of. People today say, oh, let's just love on each other. Let God take care of the rest. Today, what's happening in Calvinism and Reformed theology is that they're teaching that Christians can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. That's the pathway to hell, my friend. The Holy Spirit would never guide into something that's contrary to the Bible. An unholy spirit absolutely would. Let's forget the 151st floor. Look at the foundation. The building absolutely will fall and crash. And it will be deadly. It's dangerous now. It was dangerous then. But it's dangerous now. And baby and adolescent Christians, they're inside. They think they're safe, but they're not. Remember Hosea 4 6? My people perish for lack of knowledge. There must be strict adherence to the Word of God. Remember, we're beginning our study in the pastoral epistles. This is Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy, Pastor Paul to Pastor Titus. See, there's letters to churches. And letters to churches and letters to saints, and they're beautiful. The edification, edification then for the saints and edification today for the saints. But the pastoral epistles are different. It's a closed-door conversation. Pastor to pastor. Not the -the run-of-the-mill pastor. Not a guy who has the title. Not a guy who has the parking spot. Much different. Paul to Timothy. Paul to Titus. Much, much different. You see, adherence to the word of God, you know, there's a very specific formula. I mean, look at what we referenced already, the charismatic Pentecostals, the Roman Catholicism, Mormons, the Jehovah's Witness, the Hebrew Roots, replacement theology, Calvinism, Reformed theology. Already, what is eliminated is vast. As far as doctrinal qualifiers, doctrinal qualifications, but there's more. What about the fruit? What about the fruit? These are things that we're going to study in depth in these pastoral epistles. But we already have examples that we've studied already. Turn with me really quick to Galatians chapter 5. And since we're in the pastoral epistles, we're in Galatians 5. So take all the pastors that you know of. And I'm speaking of the pastors. We have elders, ministry leaders, and bishops, and deacons. But I'm speaking specifically of pastors, overseers, pastors, specifically of pastors. Remember, the letter, it's, you know, Pastor Paul. Senior Pastor Paul to Junior Pastor Timothy. Senior Pastor Paul to Junior Pastor Titus. Okay. So, take all the pastors you know and start shaving them off in groups. Say you know 20 pastors. And you, 10 of them are female. Shave them off. Done. Bye-bye. Remember, pastor's always male. So female pastor, bye-bye. So there's 10 pastors left. Now, of those 10 pastors, the charismatic Pentecostals, now, I'm not saying all Pentecostalism is bad. I'm saying where there's abuse of the spirit, where there's no alignment to the word of God. I mean, there's, pentecostal pastors that will say yes there's this fruit of the spirit and yes there's speaking in tongues but here's the max remember our study in first corinthians 1, uh, 1 corinthians 12 13 and 14 very specific qualifiers for speaking in tongues and then also the interpretation of tongues outside of that no tongues so you can have pentecostalism but then at the same time what's the formula like in the church If you have 500, i us say 100 people in the church and 100 people are speaking in tongues, let's shave those guys off. So now we have eight pastors left. And you say, oh, this guy, he's a priest. He's an expositor of the Bible. He's a priest according to what? Eastern Orthodox. Okay, shave him off. Doctrinally unqualified. So now you have seven pastors left. Here's this other priest. He's a great expositor of the Bible. According to what? Roman Catholicism. Okay, shave him off. Now you have six left. I'm terrible in math, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we're at six now. Any Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses in there? No. Okay, good. So we're still at six. Who else? Or there's a Hebrew Roots guy. Oh, there's this other guy, so a couple of those guys. Okay, shave them off. So now we're at four. Anybody else? Well, I got this, you know, coalition guy. Okay, it's Calvinism and replacement theology. Okay, shave him off. Anybody else? I got this study Bible guy. He says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Okay, shave them off. Now we got two left. Those are the doctrinal qualifiers. We have two left. Now we look at Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, we see this. Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Now, let's pause here for a moment. Look at what's happening with Hillsong. Look at what is happening with Hillsong. What in the world? Foundationally, they were crazy to begin with. But when that building is built on sand, look at how bad it's gotten. Look at how people who are in that building are walking away from Jesus Christ. Look at the leadership. Foolish, wicked men. They got the title. Oh, this guy's a pastor. He's got the pastor parking spot. But the works of the flesh are evident. Just like we see here in verse 19, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. You see? Idolatry in verse 20. Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. So, selfish ambitions... You got the nerd pastor. He's been a nerd his whole life. Never had any friends. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, I'm going to be a pastor. I get all these friends. People like me. I get all these friends. People like me. I can be an influencer. I've never had a friend my whole life. I've been a loser my whole life. And now I'm going to pretend I'm a pastor that the Lord is calling me. No, it's your own selfish ambitions. You want to build an empire. Oh, but the Lord is calling me. And the Lord is calling me. Test the spirits. You see? And then you have these losers at the pulpit with their selfish ambitions and their carnal. With their jealousies. Oh, this guy's got a bigger church, so I gotta have a bigger church. This guy got a big church and I gotta have a bigger church. Jealousies. Dissensions, heresies, verse 21, envy, murders. In the East Coast, there was just a youth pastor, so-called shepherd, Sent to prison. You know what he did? He was a youth pastor. He took a boy. Dismembered him. Took his torso. And threw it in a dumpster. A youth pastor. So-called shepherd. He's got the title. Says pastor on his badge. He's got the pastor parking spot. But that guy's a wolf. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. This is inside the church. You see? Look at verse 21. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, that's the fruit of the flesh, the works of the flesh. Verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. Verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see, we make these distinctions between walking according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit. The works of the flesh are evident. Look at Hillsong. Look at the sex, the parties, the marital infidelity, the pornography. And that's evident. It's made public now. But hit the rewind button. What about when the signs were already being shown years ago? Five years ago. When you could see with your eyes the works of the flesh. Hit the rewind button again. What about five years prior? Ten years prior? When doctrinal error was already in play. You see? If the foundation is not sound, the whole thing is going to fall. Now you understand why we say jump ship, jump ship, jump ship. We look at the formula. Now don't forget doctrinal qualifiers. But then fruit qualifiers. Fruit qualifiers. It's like... When you, you, you like, if you're in the market for a new car, I mean, you know, who's who's buying new cars nowadays? You know, the economy is so terrible and inflation is terrible. But if you, like, say we're three years ago and you're buying, like, a new, uh, I don't know, like, an like a, a economy car. And you look, you go on the website, you know, whatever.com, you know, whatevercar.com. And you go to the website. Like, wow, this is a cool car. I can afford it. And then they have, okay, build your car. And you build your car. And it's like, okay, you have all these different models. You know, you have, you know, base model, then the beefier, and then the beefier, and then the beefier. The super beefy has all the bells and whistles. But you have the base model, which looks like they all look the same. But they're not all the same. They all look the same. So there's like, you know, version one, which is like super base. They have the next one, which is like, you know, it, it, like it, sometimes the websites, they even say, you know, you know, the the, the the version one, we have everything in version one, but then we got these additives and then, you know, version three or version two, or version three. Um, I, 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 so I had to like do a little pause in the count. Okay. Version one, version two. So now version three, it says we got everything in version two, but then we got all these extra bells and whistles. So now in version 3, you got everything in version 1 and 2. But now it's version 3. You got like uh, 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 the package deal. But then you have the next version, version 4, which is like the ultimate. And it has everything in package 1, package 2, package 3. And it's got more additives. That's like the super version. You see? But it's the same thing with pastors. Doctrinally speaking, the formula has to be right. When the doctrine is wrong... It's only a matter of time before the fall happens. It is only a matter of time. Look at Hillsong. Doctrinally wrong. It's only a matter of time before it falls and it's fallen. And you have people that were inside. They believed in Jesus Christ. But just as Brother James says, you believe, you do well. But even the demons believe. Where is obedience? You see, people believe in Jesus Christ, which is beautiful. But there has to be a pastor, a shepherd to say, let's obey Jesus Christ together. Not just you. It's not just me telling you to obey Jesus Christ. We're going to do it together. We're in the same boat. We're going to do it together. And we're going to bear one another's burdens. And, you know, n- n- you know, walking milk drinkers are good for babies. And we're going to do it. You see how healthy it is when the foundation is sound in accordance to doctrine. Everything, floor number one is safe. Floor number a thousand is safe because everything is perfect, sound. Why? Because the Lord built the house. It's built by the Lord. It's not anybody who says, you know, say a pastor is building each floor and in the year two, in the year you know, uh like 34 A.D., 32 A.D., give or take a couple years, that's foundation. 33 A.D., that's first floor, safe. Like like Paul, like, we'll say like 60, 62 A.D., Paul, that's first floor, safe. And it's not Paul who says, oh, I want to feel good. You know, I've been a nerd my whole life. I've been a loser my whole life. And so I think I'm going to build the first floor. No, it's the Lord who says, Paul, you're going to build the first floor. (laughs) And then, you know, balls in his court. You know, Paul could say, okay, Lord, or no. See, balls in his court. Then you look at John, second floor, you see. And then, you know, you get into church history. You see like Clement, Irenaeus, you know, third floor. And all these vessels that the Lord uses in capacity of overseer, it's not like, oh, you know, I'm a loser. I'm going to feel good about myself. So I want to be an influencer. Never had friends my whole life. And so I've never experienced having friends. And now I want to be friend. I'm to be Mr. Popular. I want to be rock star. And so I want to build the 10th floor. I'm going to build the 100th floor. I'm going to build. No, it's the Lord who says, hey, you're going to build the 100th floor in my building. And then balls in that person's court to say, yes, Lord, or no, Lord. You see, unless the Lord builds the house, the Lord must build the house. The real Jesus, the one whose word is above his name. Remember, the the disciples asked Jesus Christ, what is the sign of your coming? And Jesus says there's going to be many Christs, many false prophets, many Christs. These many false prophets and many Christs, they also have buildings, but they're all built on sand. You see. But there's only one that's on the rock. The doctrine must be right. And just like that car example, you know, you got you know, you know, package one and you got package two, which has everything in package one, and then package three, which has everything in package one, two, and then package four, which has like the full package, everything in package one, two, three, and then four with some additives. It's like the full package. Well, the same thing applies with pastors. Remember, we're talking about pastors. The doctrine is right. Okay. Package one. Now we look at the fruit. Package two. Now we look at the fruit. And just as we read in Galatians, okay, look, he's a pastor. And remember, we shaved off the pastors. Remember, we had a a list of 20 pastors. We shaved off, you know, the, the women, you know, unbiblical, okay? So, shave them off. And you got, okay, some Catholic, Catholic, pre Orthodox, you know, Catholic, prayer, okay, shave them off. Gone. Bye-bye. Ladies, bye-bye. Orthodox, you know, Catholicism, bye-bye. The, uh, Calvinist, bye-bye. Charismatic? No alignment to what the Bible says about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Bye bye. So now we have two left. I mean, you know, when we go back to, you know, what we said about, you know, when we shaved everybody off, we started with 20, but now we got two. And then we read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 or verse uh, 19. We got adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Remember, we got two pastors left. One of them is a sex head. Okay, bye-bye. Now we got one left. Then you read. Works of the flesh, evident, adultery, fornication, uncleanness. You know, verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Verse 21, angry, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. You're like, wait a second. Remember we got one left. But he's an alcoholic. Bye bye. Who is left? Who is left? Where? Where are they? Where in the world are they? Oh, but there's a pastor in every corner. That's nice. I'm talking about where are the ones with the solid foundation? Where are the ones where the formula is right? I know there's churches on every corner. I'm not talking about just run of the mill church, run of the mill pattern pastor everywhere. You see. But then you see a pastor. The formula doctrinal is right. Doctrine, sound. Then you get to verse 22 in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it's like, whoa, that's, that's him. And we're just talking about pastors. I know, you know, Galatians is written to the church, to saints. But there are qualifiers. We're speaking about pastors right now. You can't have a pastor with sound doctrine, but he's a sex head. You can't have a pastor who's not a sex head, but then he's, you know, teaches Catholicism. Or a pastor who's not a sex head, doesn't do the occult and doesn't do drugs, doesn't do gambling, but uh, he teaches uh, uh, replacement theology. You see, it's a package deal. That's why we stress formula, 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 formula a lot. Formula inside of us individually, formula inside the home, formula inside marriage, formula for kids, formula for women, for husbands, for men. Listen to our study through Ephesians 5 and 6. You'll understand more. Very specific formula. But even more specific when it comes to pastors. You see? Turn to Acts chapter 6 really quick. Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter six, verse one, we see this. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our study through the Book of Acts. You'll understand more. We we open this up a little bit more. Well, a lot a bit more. But in verse two. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. You know how many people would have a problem with that today? You have a teacher of the word of God and say he's pastor. Hey, pastor, we got this church need over here. You know that that, uh, we, we, we need you to serve at the tables. And if the pastor says, no, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God. And serve tables. You know how many people would go crazy over that? How dare you, pastor? You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. No, pastors are supposed to do what God tells them to do. If it's to pastor and teach and shepherd, okay, that's one thing. Open up the word of God. Share the word of God. Feed the word of God. That's one thing. Remember, one body, many parts. And so in obedience to the Lord, look up verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out. From among you, not just warm bodies. It's not to put an ad out on the on the internet. We're going to put an ad out on social media. We're going to put an ad out on you know Craigslist and say, Well, we have a church need, or this church needs this, and we're hiring for this. Right? It's not a warm body. It says therefore, brethren, seek out from among you. It's from inside the church, from the pews, from the pews. He says, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, which is a good witness. Full of the Holy Spirit. Look at these qualifiers. I mean, you know, when we started this message, it was like, okay, we make this distinction between field and workers. These are the steps that, you know, baby steps to become workers. And choose from within the pews. Those of good reputation. Those who have exercised the mind. Those who have exercised the fruit of the spirit. Not just, okay, any milk drinker. Oh, this guy's been a Christian for five years and ten years, and he's a milk drinker, and he goes to the gambling, he does the sex, he does the, you know, the strippers, the prostitutes, the occult, the Buddha, the worships Mary, all these things. But, oh, we we need a warm body over here, so why don't you go serving these tables, brother? Wait a second. With sound doctrine, well, there, would, there would be a, a, a pastor, an elder, preferably an elder, which we're going to study this more when we get deeper into the pastoral epistles, would say like, hey, you know, what's up with the milk? Are you, you know, 10 years a Christian and you're still a milk drinker? Come on, let's move on to perfection. I'm going to help you. And the, where there's a refusal to move away from milk. That's when you get into leaven material. That's when you get into leaven material. But churches today, they just choose warm bodies. Oh, I know you're addicted to pornography, but we need you to serve the church. Don't you want to serve the Lord in this capacity? It's like, wait a second. How, how can you? That's defunctness. Remember, the formula is in, then through. Not through, then in. Wrong. In, then, through. Very specific formula. Look at the package deal we see in these men. That package deal, just like the car. You know, package one, package two, package three, package four. Package two has everything package one. Package three has everything package one and two. Package four has the full package. Package one, two, three, and then four with some additives. Well, look what we see in verse three. Therefore, brethren, seek from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Beautiful, beautiful Stephen. So we have the package deal from verse three, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But then we have a, a little bit more with Stephen, full of faith. Then we have N. Philip, uh, uh Prochorus, Nicanor, uh, uh, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolás, a proselyte from Antioch. You see? Look at the package deal that we have. And that's just for serving tables. Not to say that just for serving tables. That's a big deal because now you have the building blocks from pew to becoming worker in these capacities of serving in tables. But to teach the Word of God? It's a little bit different. Remember the the disciples, the apostles? In verse 2, they say, it is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables because they knew their calling. They're to teach the Word of God. You see? It's not just doctrine alone. Doctrine alone is beautiful. But it's not just doctrine alone. There's fruit. There's more to the package. There's more to the formula. You see? And then also understand that good fruit never comes from a bad tree. Good fruit never comes from a bad tree. Because remember, we have the pseudodelphos. The servants of Satan who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. But you have to look at the fruit. You see? Remember how Paul, when he was, when he wrote to the Corinthians, how he says, you know, I fear for you. He was opening up about his phobias. And he says, I fear for you. Because the preacher guy is going to come in. A servant of Satan, a different spirit, a different gospel, a different Jesus. And I fear for you because you might well put up with it. It happened in Corinth. It happened in Galatia. The threat was there in Ephesians. The threat was there in Philippians. The threat is here today. Good fruit never comes from a bad tree. That's why Jesus says, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. You see? Oh, this guy is such a great expositor of the Bible. Okay. Understand what the Bible says. It doesn't align with the truth of God's Holy Word. Okay, bye-bye. Oh, but this guy, he's such a great Christian, all these things. Beats on his wife, cheats on his wife. Bad fruit, buddy. Bye-bye. You see? Pastors have this idea in their head like, oh, I'm the pastor and look how awesome I am. Losers. Don't forget that workers, pastors, overseers can become wolves. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Workers can become wolves. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, this is Paul, Pastor Paul, Senior Pastor Paul, speaking to the elders of Ephesus in Miletus, and he says this in verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the holy spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of of to shepherd the church of god which he purchased with his own blood for i know this that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock now It's not Paul being boastful and prideful when he says, I know this, that after my departure, Paul knows the makeup. Paul knows the formula. Paul knows that, you know, he can identify wolves and he can kill wolves. Metaphysically speaking, but he can do it. And he says, I know that when I leave, after my departure, Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Where are the Pauls of today? Where in the world are the Pauls of today? The Timothy's of today? The Titus's of today? Who can identify this guy's a wolf and kill the wolf metaphysically? Where are they? And Paul says, "I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Now today we live in a day and age where there's churches on every corner. The formula could be right in you, the doctrine, the fruit, but because there are churches on every corner, people say, okay, I, you know I don't want my little feelers to be hurt, so I'm just gonna go over here to this other church. I'm just gonna go over here to this other church. you see? oh, you're so mean, you're so mean, you're so mean. I don't like how you say this, I don't like how you say that. But that's the argument of babies. Because when you know the formula, remember a little checklist, you know, doctrine's right, okay, check mark. Fruit, okay, check mark, okay? That's good. That's what we want. But there's churches on every corner. Somebody says, oh, you know what? I'm addicted to pornography. I don't like how you say these things against me. So, okay, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to this other church where the pastor, he doesn't say anything about that. He's compromised himself. See, I'm going to go to this church over here where I can feel good about myself. I can, you know, let this adulteress into my home and let her have sex with my kids. And, you know, I'm going to go to this other church where the pastor says nothing about that. See, that's what's happening in these last days. But because you have baby Christians, adolescent Christians who don't know discernment, they don't know how to discern, what happens? The attack gets worse and worse and worse. Then you have a bunch of like spiritual basket cases. I mean, I don't need to say this. We see it. We we see it everywhere. You know, you go into church, you see the spiritual basket cases. Look at wives of Calvinists. You know, they're Calvinists, but their wives. Look at their demeanor. I mean, do you see joyful wives? No, you see actresses. They pretend like they're joy, like they're in joy. And a lot of times they're slaves in their own home. You see? Usually, you know, not usually, but in my experience, I've seen they have a lot of kids. Because, you know, they have a lot of kids because, you know, oh, I got to please my husband. Like, my husband wants to do the sex. I got to do the sex and all this. Okay, we have the sex. Now I'm pregnant and all that. They got like 10 kids. 10 kids. Well, I don't know what it is. Calvinists, they have all these kids, like 10 kids. Instead of the stupid husband learning that, hey, you know, I'm not a rabbit. You see? Instead of a husband learning that there's gifts of the Spirit. Instead of a husband learning like, wow, you know, I can't treat my wife like a concubine. And you talk to a, a, a Calvinist wife and it's like, wow, she's like a basket case, a spiritual basket case. Why? Because she's treated that way. She's treated like a concubine, a slave. Oh, I have a good wife. Oh, what makes you say that? Well, she cooks good, she cleans good, and she does this, she does that, and. Sounds like a slave to me. Good cleaner, good cook. Sounds like a slave. I mean, you can get a maiden, you know. Stay single, get a maiden, probably have better food, cleaner house. Sounds like a maid to me. Wives were slaves. Husbands who who treat their wives like slaves. Let me tell you something, husbands. When does Jesus ever treat you the way you treat your wife? I mean, hopefully the answer is, you know, all the time. Because you love your wife like Christ loved the church. But more often than not, you don't see that inside the church. You see husbands or wife, you have to submit to me. You have to submit to me. I force you to submit to me. And I'm going to be a sex head and you got to perform like this, wife. I'm going to do this and you got to submit to me, wife. And I'm going to go do my crack and you're going to join me, wife, because you have to submit to me. Fools. And then the wife becomes a basket case and seeks counsel from the pastor. And she's submitting to those who rule over her, her pastor, she submits to her pastor and her pastor says, you know, it's your fault, wife. Your husband has a problem with sex because you let yourself go. It's your fault, wife. And the whole time the formula's wrong. A building that is built on sand. Sound doctrine, not there. Oh, but he's got his study Bible. That's nice. I don't care. What does the Bible say? Oh, but the church has a thousand people. That's nice. I don't care. I mean, I don't care that the church has a thousand people, but what I do care about is that there's a thousand people in that building. Not safe. You see? See, when the formula is right it's safe which is good but even then wolves can enter wolves can enter in verse 30. also from among yourselves remember he's speaking to the overseers the elders of the of ephesus in the miletus meeting he says from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves you see popularity contest oh i've been a loser my whole life i've never had any friends and now i can be a christian and look i have all these friends look i can pretend to have all these books and i'm a reader little i'll say sola scriptura all the time but i you know sola scriptura but i have you know a million books well that's not sola scriptura my friend And I've been a loser my whole life. I've been such a loner my whole life. But now I have all these friends and they're Christians and they like me. And now, look, I can draw all these people to me, to myself. Because I've been a loser. I've never had a friend in my whole life. And now I got all these friends and this and that. And, you know, where is sound doctrine? You see? Also from among yourselves, in verse 30, men will rise up speaking perverse things. Have you ever sat in a church and you're listening to what's being said and you're like so disgusted? You're like, how in the world can these things be said? And you're so disgusted by the very things that are being said, that are being taught. And then you look around and everybody's like, "Mm, amen, Mm -hmm, amen, preach it. Mm -hmm, And like, what? Where is understanding? Speaking perverse things. To draw away the disciples after themselves. Verse 31, therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. You see, night and day with tears. The formula has to be right. See, we can't just say Paul is like a mature Christian. He's mature, but he's also deadly. Because remember, he says, I know this, that after my departure, he's a safeguard that the Lord is using and has used. And praise be to the Lord that there's a safeguard in place. And Paul says, after my departure, savage wolves will come in. That was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. What about today? Think about the savage wolves that have entered already and are entering. And think about the ones that were overseers who became wolves. I mean, after Paul's departure, that was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. Where are the Pauls of today? The Timothy's of today, the Tituses of today. And Paul says in verse 31, remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears, with tears, with tears. You know why? Because Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse 18 says, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. That's hardcore. You know how many Christians want much wisdom? They want much wisdom, which is a beautiful thing to desire. But understand that there's a package deal involved. Because with much wisdom is much grief. You know how many Christians want knowledge? Which is a beautiful thing. It's a gift of the Spirit. So is wisdom. But who wants to increase in sorrow? Who in the world wants to increase in sorrow and in grief? Who in the world wants to increase in the sadness with much tears? Who in the world wants to increase in sorrow and grief because it's a package deal with knowledge and wisdom? You know why? Because when you have knowledge and wisdom, you know that people are in trouble. When you have knowledge and wisdom, which is a gift of the Spirit, you know That God's people, his children, his flock, they're in trouble. You have knowledge and wisdom, a gift of the Spirit. And then you hear a pastor speaking to a congregation. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Yes, you have the knowledge. Yes, you have the wisdom, but you also have the sorrow and the grief. Because people are nodding their heads. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Pastor says, you know, he's expositor of the Bible. He has his own study Bible. He says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. I'll still be saved. Mm-hmm. Amen. Pastor says, hey, everybody, we're going to lay on the graves, soak up the spirit of dead people. You look around people. Oh, mm-hmm. Amen. And you increase in sorrow and grief. Because of the knowledge and wisdom, which is a gift of the Spirit, your heart is broken and breaking because people are in danger and they don't even know it. They're on the 140th floor and they don't know that the building is already starting to tip. They're on the 150th floor. And the tipping has already started. They're in danger. You see? I mean, we're talking about the church right now. The world is in danger because judgment is coming. But judgment comes first to the church. But they're in a nice little family. They're vacationing. They're on the 150th floor. Beautiful views. But with knowledge and wisdom, you know that if they don't jump ship, they're going to die. A lot of Christians pray for knowledge and pray for wisdom. They desire it and it It's not a bad thing But count the cost Because your Your heart will break Because there's not just grief And sorrow There's Much grief And sorrow And when you know When you have wisdom, when you have the knowledge, which is a gift of the spirit, you become the bad guy. How dare you say this? How dare you say that? I like my sex, I do my sex, and you speak against it? How dare you say that? I allow the wolf into my home to do the sex with my kids, and how dare you say something against that? I do the drugs, I do the alcohol. How dare you speak about that? Look, God is love, and so we're supposed to just love. You know what? Forget you. I'm going to go over here across the street where, you know, the pastor's going to say nothing about it. The pastor's probably compromised himself. You can do, do, do the sex and the drugs with him. Fools. And just like Paul says to the saints in Galatia, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? It's a painful reality of knowledge and wisdom. Something that which is a gift of the spirit. Very beautiful and beautiful to desire. It's a package deal. Painful reality, but there's another reality. Number one, you'll be alone. You'll be alone. But there's another beautiful reality. The more they hate you, the more you'll love them. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Understand Paul imposes the same formula on himself in First Corinthians chapter 9 verse 27, this formula of doctrine and fruit, In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, Paul says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul's not teaching or preaching at the saints. He's in the same boat. You see there's an order of eventualities and a very specific specific formula prerequisites to glorified bodies belief obedience remember Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection his tomb was empty Ours too. Ours too. He's the first fruits. And praise be to the Lord. Remember, the living will by no means precede the dead. Very specific formula. Leadership matters. Remember, in the example we gave earlier, we started with 20. We shaved it down to zero. Where are the men? You See? And speaking of pastors, where are the men? Where are the Pauls of our day? Where are the Timothys of our day? Where are the Tituses of our day? Where? Where can they be found? Remember, in the car example, package one, package two, package three, package four. Where are the package four men? There's package one, there's package two. I meant with women. I see more package deal with the women than I do with the men. But for pastors and elders, which biblically, the formula must be men. Where are they? I mean, Chloe, she's a package deal. Beautiful. But I'm speaking about men. Remember, we're entering the pastoral epistles. Very specific formula. Doctrine, fruit. In the example we gave, we started with 20. Now we're down to zero. Is there just one? Is there just one? One? Where can he be found? Where are they? Leadership matters. There's a very specific formula to holiness and righteousness. The means for people to be right with God. You see, turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Little refresher course if you've been walking with us for a while. But in Exodus 32, this is when Moses, he received the Ten Commandments. He and Joshua, they went up the, the mountain and Joshua stayed right outside the cloud and Moses went into the cloud and you know Moses received the Ten Commandments. Moses leaves the cloud sees Joshua the two come down together they were going to the camp of Israel and what they should have seen were the elders they should have seen okay where is that? you know Aaron meet up with the elders and we're all going to go down as one big group down to the camp of Israel but Moses sees Joshua come they walk down together Joshua and Moses they're curious where is everybody where are the elders and they say okay maybe they went back down to the camp they keep going down to the camp And then we start off in verse 17, Exodus 32, verse 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. But he says, But he said, It is not the voice of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, what happened is that they were worshiping the golden calf. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it into powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, To Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Let me read this again. This is Moses speaking to Aaron. What did this people do to you that you, you, have brought so great a sin upon them? I'll read it a third time. What did this people... Now, I'm going to read it a third time. Remember, we're entering the pastoral epistles. Understand that leadership matters. Who you follow matters. Notice the responsibility of leaders. And Moses says to Aaron... What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? You see, sin is in the camp. Yes, the people have a responsibility. They made their choice. But sin is in the camp because of the leader. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. But nobody thinks eternally. What are the implications and ramifications of following this guy? Now, put your pastor there. Whoever your pastor is, I don't care who he is, put your pastor there. What are the implications and ramifications of following this guy? You say, wait a second, he's a girl, okay? Wrong formula. Jump ship. But what are the implications and ramifications of following this guy? And putting your pastor there. Is it paradise? Or is it hell? Balls in your court. See, anybody can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Anybody can say it. Follow me as I follow Christ. By the way, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's go grave soaking. We're going to soak up the spirit of dead people. Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. God is all done with Israel. Coalition, grow coalition. But like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. You know that, okay, follow Paul, that's paradise. It's not that you're following Paul. I mean, you're following Paul, but remember, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, the real Christ, whose word is above his name, Jesus. Mark of the Beast guy says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's lowercase c. That's another Christ, the one that Jesus warns about. The grave soakers, that's another. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's another Christ, lowercase c, the one that Jesus warns about. See, formula, 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 formula. Guy says, follow me as I follow Christ. He's got thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that listen to him. Follow me as I follow Christ. Meanwhile, he's having sex with all these different ladies, strippers, gambling. Wrong formula. Not just doctrine, of course. But fruit? Rotten fruit. Fruit of hell. He can say it till he's blue in the face. Follow me as I follow Christ. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people are in that building you see understand don't forget with much wisdom is much grief increase in knowledge increase in sorrow and your heart is broken why because all those thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that building is falling you see What are the implications and ramifications of following your pastor? Because if you can't say paradise, if you cannot say paradise, remember, very strict formula. You need to jump ship. Anybody can say, follow me as I follow Christ. The question is, which Christ? And what formula? You see? I'm just the messenger. Moses says to Aaron here in verse 21, What did they do to you? They're in sin, yes, but you brought it upon them. In verse 22, so Aaron says, do not let, do not let the anger of my Lord be become hot. You know, the people that they are set on evil seed blame game. Oh, it's because of them. It's because of them. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. See, he was on the mountain in the cloud with the Lord and with Joshua. He was there for quite a while. They thought he died. Here he is. They were wrong. And they formulated their own conclusions. Wrong formula, different formula, not a good formula. And this is Aaron giving his explanation. Oh, it's the people, they're set on evil. In verse 24, and I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and this calf came out. See, he's... He's, he's blaming the people. Oh, they're set on evil. And they gave me their gold. I took this gold, threw it in the fire, and boom, this calf came out. But when you look at the prior verses in verse uh, chapter 32, but you see in verse 2, And Aaron said to them, speaking to the people, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in the ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Aaron was lying. Blame game. Oh, I had nothing to do with it. It was not my fault, not my fault, not my fault. Plenty of blame at leadership. Look at verse 25 now. In verse 25, now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me! Exclamation point. That's Moses saying, hey, jump ship. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me, exclamation point. Oh, who is Moses? Who does he think he is? Listen, the formula is right. Just like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Oh, that's pompous. How can he say that? Look at the formula. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. We have to understand the formula, even more so in these last days, because this is like it's already treacherous and perilous right now. As we speak, what's happening in the church today, people are falling left and right. Churches are falling left and right. The door. Remember, the last day's church, four categories. The last day's church is false apostate entering apostasy or is true. Very serious business. We're talking paradise and gnashing of teeth. And there's a very specific formula to paradise. You see? Leadership matters. I mean... For anybody to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow. Put your pastor's name there. Follow this guy. Now ask your ask yourself a question. Will that get you into paradise? I mean, there's paradise, which is a beautiful objective. But what about, in this life, more intimacy with Jesus Christ? Deeper intimacy with Jesus Christ. Do you get that with your pastor? If following your pastor, knowing the formula, remember we're Bereans, we study the scriptures with noble hearts, If following your pastor, you cannot say that that will get you into paradise, you got to jump ship. Oh, the audacity of Moses. Whoever is on God's side, come to me. Whoever is with the Lord, come to me. Whoever wants to be with the Lord, come to me. Oh, what the audacity of Moses. Who does he think he is? You look at the formula. Moses and Joshua undefiled. Everybody else defiled. And the Lord gave Moses very specific blueprints for the people to be right with God. Don't forget, Aaron also became high priest, but it was after his repentance and cleansing according to the very specific formula, according to the very specific blueprints. The Lord gives the means for cleansing. But the unclean cannot clean. The clean clean. The unclean cannot clean. The clean can clean. Where are the clean? Where are the men? Remember pastoral epistles we're talking about men, 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 male. Coverings always male. Leadership absolutely matters. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3. And in Ezekiel chapter 3, we see this in verse 17, the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman. This is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel. He says, Son of man, in verse 17, Ezekiel chapter 3, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word From my mouth. This is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel. Hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Give them warning from me. So now you see the Lord who has made Ezekiel a watchman. Now you see Ezekiel as a vessel to warn the people and the message is from the Lord. In verse 18, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you, remember the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel. And you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. See, he's going to pay the price for what he's done, his sin. But, but. His blood, Ezekiel, I will require at your hand. That's heavy. That's heavy. Notice in verse nineteen. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wicked way, nor from his if he nor. And he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity, but you, Ezekiel, have delivered your soul. You see what's happening here? When the vessel, and remember, we're in the pastoral epistles. When the pastor teaches the truth of God's holy word, the, for the people, ball's in their court. They respond accordingly. But you have these loser pastors now. They've never had any friends they have been nerds their whole life. I mean, no offense to the nerds, but like if you're a nerd, you know, I love you. God bless you. You know, our identity is in Christ. But I'm speaking, you know, identifying these stupid pastors. You have these pastors who've been like nerds their whole life you know no offense to nerds i love you but you know for sake of argument i'm using that word pastors who've been nerds their whole life never had any friends and they use church as a popularity contest when that happens do you think they're going to say things that hurt the truth of god's holy remember it's sharper than two, any any two-edged sword it's very very sharp you want to cut a tree in half, a big uh, redwood tree? You don't have to hack away at it. Just when the formula is right and the vessel is right, one little slash, whoosh, and that tree is falling. That's how sharp and able and capable this sword is. But you have these loser pastors. They've been losers their whole life. And they take it upon themselves. I think I'm going to be a pastor. I want to do good for my community. I like all these people. And I don't want to hurt their little feelers. So I'm not going to share this. I know the Bible says this. But I'm not going to say that. Because I don't want to hurt their feelers. Because look, they're my friends. And... I love them, I love them, and they're my friends, and I've been a dork my whole life, and I've never had any friends, I've been a loner, I've been a loser, and look, they're the only friends I ever have, and I'm an influencer now, I finally have, you know, a thousand people on social media, and look, I'm a popular guy, and look, I finally have a million followers on social media, I'm a popular guy, and I'm not gonna say these things, it's gonna hurt their little feelers, because they're gonna leave me, and I'm gonna be a loser all over again, because I never had any friends before, I didn't like it, and I'm gonna have no friends again. And I know the Bible says this but I'm not going to say it because I don't want to hurt their little feelers. Such pastors have blood on their hands. Such pastors will burn in hell. Do not follow such pastors. Because they do not teach the word of God. You see, if you're a pastor and you're listening, this is the formula. I'm just the messenger. You can hate me all you want. (laughs) Get in line. (laughs) Get in line. Very specific formula. I know there's the ways of the world. I'm not talking to the world. I teach the living. Not the dead. You see? In verse 20, Ezekiel 3, we see again when a righteous man. So before we have a wicked man who doesn't turn. You know, know, he doesn't turn. So Ezekiel, the Lord is saying, Ezekiel, you tell him and he doesn't turn. Okay, the blood's not on you. The blood's on him. But if he doesn't turn because you don't tell him, Ezekiel, now the blood is on you. It's your fault. It's your fault. Blood is on your hands, Ezekiel. But notice in verse 20, again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity. So now you have a righteous man. You think, okay, cool, cool. Job's done. But notice. The righteous guy turns away from righteousness and he turns to iniquity. He turns to sin. Remember, the formula isn't once saved, always saved. The formula is once saved, stay saved. So now you have a righteous man who turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity. And he says, and I lay a stumbling block before him. He shall die. Why? Because Ezekiel. You didn't give him warning. You did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But his blood, I will require at your hand, Ezekiel. That's what the Lord is saying. It's your fault, Ezekiel. Because you didn't tell him. And you got these dork pastors Been a loser their whole life. And they stand at the pulpit. And they don't want to hurt people's little feelers. And you know what? They're still losers. Do not follow such men. That's the pathway to hell. The truth of God's holy word is sharp. I mean, you know, you hear me speak about, you know, cutting a redwood tree. Yes, absolutely. But to be cut to the heart, which I have felt painful, very painful to be cut to the heart, but also very beautiful in the aftermath. Why? Because of repentance. Repentance. Repent. 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 Look at Aaron. He repented. I mean, he fashioned the the golden calf. He repented and became high priest. All in accordance to the formula, blueprints given to Moses. See? In verse 21, nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous that the righteous should not sin, so notice not one saved, always saved, it's one saved, stay saved. And he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. Do not follow the loser pastor. They got the badge, I'm a pastor. They got the parking spot, I'm a pastor. You look at the formula, you're a loser. You look at the fruit, you're a loser. Don't follow. Balls in your court, don't follow. If you're a pastor and you have a 100 people in your church, people are not fruit. People are people. People are sheep. People are lambs. Beautiful flock of God. That's the people. Numbers are not fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, we read. People confuse foolish pastors, loser pastors. They confuse people with fruit. That's not fruit. People are people. People are God's people. You might have a thousand you might have a 100, you might have 50, you might have 10, you might have five, you might have three, you might have one.
1: I could say more, but I won't. <laughs>
0: The ones who follow Christ, the real Christ, the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, you follow him. You do that, you'll get to paradise. Remember, we're starting the pastoral epistles. Paul's not like the average bear, he doesn't train and equip the average cub. He trains fighters, he trains warriors. The next generation of pastoral leadership. Remember, you have 10,000 teachers. You add Paul in the mix, 10,001. He's saying, You follow these 10,000? Not so good. But you follow me as I follow Christ? Paradise. Understand the multiple threats in Paul's day. Remember the Jerusalem Council? How there were people who took it upon themselves, a circumcision of the flesh and adherence to Moses. Oh, if you want to be a Christian, you got to get circumcised according to the flesh and you got to, we got to follow Moses. Who stood up at the Jerusalem council? Who stood up? Paul was one of them. Barnabas was one. Peter was there. He stood up. Look at Corinth. Remember Corinth? The works of the flesh under defunct pastors. Remember, leadership matters. Look at Galatia. Seduction to the law. The pseudodophos, the fake brothers, secretly brought in. Remember, Satan has his recon team too. We studied that in our in Joshua. Satan has his recon team too. You see, Peter says... Peter says that false teachers are untaught, unstable, and they twist the scriptures. That's from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Remember Paul when he says, you might well put up with it. You might well put up with it, he says. The saints in Corinth, they put up with it. The saints in Galatia, they put up with it. The saints today. Today. They put up with it. The pastoral epistles are very, very intimate. Paul is dying. He's an old man. Prison letters. Senior Pastor Paul who's dying. He's going to be beheaded. And Senior Pastor Paul writes a letter To Timothy. And then another letter to Titus. And then a final letter to Timothy. A small group who are not like the average bear. James chapter 3 verse 1. Let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. What happens today? Everybody wants to be a teacher. Popularity contest. Oh, I want to be an influencer. I want all these followers. I'm a loser and I want all these friends and all this and all that. Let not many be teachers. James chapter 3 verse 1. In these last days, another verse rings truer every single day that passes. And it is found in Revelation chapter 3 verse 2. Strengthen the things which remain. That's to strengthen the remnant. Regarding pastors, don't just follow the title. Follow the ones who follow Jesus, whose word is above his name. To the beautiful people of the way. A remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.